You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. You know, certain things demand a response. There are a lot of things that deserve a response, but sometimes there's something that demands a response. Like, So for example, let's say you have Uncle Lewis and he lights your tree on fire, your Christmas tree, and, and, and it torches, and so you got to drag that outside. And then as a result, you're, you're down a Christmas tree, so you cut one down in your front yard, and you bring that into the house. But unbeknownst to you, you brought in an extra visitor for Christmas, and it looks like this. Not here anymore. Demands a response, doesn't it? Right now you have a squirrel loose in the house. Remember the dog starts chasing. It's mayhem. It's pandemonium. And everybody, everybody responds in that moment. It demands a response. Let me give you another example. What if I, Rick McKee, claimed today that I am God in the flesh? Now, to be clear, I'm not. Please tell me that was an unnecessary clarification, right? You're like, dude, we know. Believe me, we know, right? I'm not. But what if I claim that? You understand, if I claim that, we have crossed a threshold and there's no going back. We cannot continue in business as usual. That demands a response. Past that, I can no longer be your pastor. At that point, you will either worship me as God or run me out of town as a heretic go with number two, right? But, but, but listen, we can't just continue on as if nothing happened. That demands a response. And you understand where this is going in light of Christmas, right? Because here's Christmas. That God did not leave us in our brokenness, in our mess, in our filth. But he split time and space and took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, a baby born in a manger who would then grow up and he would go to the cross to die in our place for our sins in order to reconcile us in relationship with God. And then he rose from the grave to prove that it's all true. Jesus came for you. That's Christmas and it demands a response. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, the very first Christmas. And what we'll see is that everybody responded in different ways. You don't have the choice to not respond in different ways, but everybody responded. Now, I said we'll look at Matthew 2. I should let you know we're going to look at it in a little bit different way because we have a lot of kids in with us right now. We'll look at the story differently. But what I want you to pay attention for are the different characters in the different ways they responded. Watch this. Far away from the city of Jerusalem, there lived a mysterious tribe of people called the Magi. The Magi were filled with wisdom and understanding, and they were respected by kings and other important people. As three of these wise men were gazing out into the sky one starry night, 
An unusually bright light shone, brighter than any star they had ever seen. They were amazed at what they saw and were convinced it was a sign that a great king had been born. Quickly, they set out on a journey to find him. After a long journey, the wise men arrived in Jerusalem. As they rode through the city, they excitedly called out, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? They knew this king would be different than any other king before. This king was promised to bring peace and joy to all the nations of the world. Surely someone would know of his coming. We have seen his star, the wise men declared, and we are here to worship him. But no one knew where this child could be found. Herod, who called himself king of the Jews, was greatly troubled by the announcement of a new king, a king who might take his place. He met with the Jewish leaders and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Then he arranged a secret meeting with the wise men and said to them, Go and look for the Messiah in the town of Bethlehem, and when you find him, let me know so that I can also worship him. But secretly Herod did not want to worship the new king. He only wanted the wise men to discover where Jesus was so he could have him killed. As the wise men left Jerusalem and headed toward Bethlehem, they once again saw the glorious light in the night sky. This light had led them many long miles from home, and now it would lead them right to the place where Jesus was. As the wise men drew closer, they were filled with excitement and wonder. When they stepped into the house, the wise men saw a young child with his mother Mary, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. They gave Jesus gifts fit for a king, including costly treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The scene was incredible. The greatest of kings, born in the most unlikely of places. Mary took in every detail and tucked them away in her heart. She wanted to remember these precious moments for the rest of her life. Later, the wise men and Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, were warned by God in a dream that Herod intended to kill the young Messiah. God led the wise men and the new family safely out of the city of Bethlehem and far away from the evil King Herod. Eventually, Jesus and his family returned to Nazareth. As Jesus grew, he revealed more and more about who he was. He healed the sick, raised the dead, opened the eyes of the blind, and most amazing of all, he gave his life on the cross to rescue the world from the curse of sin. The wise men's journey had led them to Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. That is an animated retelling of Matthew chapter 2. Most of that is lifted right out of Matthew. And it is a very, very true story and one that demands a response. In fact, as I give you a heads up, that was a whole kind of catalog of different responses to Jesus that took place 2,000 years ago. And I want to look at some of those with you. So, for example, there was Herod. Now, Herod was a king. 
What a king does, quite naturally, is protects his kingdom. And what he finds out, news comes to town that there has been born a new king, a rival king. And so, of course, Herod wants to wipe him out. Kings always protect their kingdoms. Here's an interesting part about this, though, that you might have missed. Remember, Herod didn't know where it was that Jesus would be born. And so what he did is consult the priests. Oh, but don't miss this. For that to work, three things had to be true. Herod had to believe that God exists. Herod had to believe that the Jewish scriptures were the word of God and had truth in it about where the Messiah would be born. And Herod had to believe that this Jesus that was just being born was that Messiah. You understand, if those three things aren't true, the information Herod gets is useless. My point is this. Herod believed, but he didn't have faith. Belief and faith are not the same thing. And it wasn't just Herod's problem. It's been around for a long time. You understand, Satan believes in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus way more than you do, or I do. But he doesn't have love. He doesn't have submission. He doesn't have worship for Jesus. He doesn't have faith. And that was Herod as well. So he pretends like he wants to worship Jesus. But what he really wants to do is wipe out this rival king that's threatening his throne. And remember, the wise men kind of give him the slip. So he decides to have all the boys, two years old and younger, in that vicinity eliminated. There's a massacre that didn't make it in the animated version, right? Go figure, right? Anyway, but that, that's what he did. Now, what's going on? Here's some irony. Here's some irony. Jesus didn't come to take anything away from Herod. Jesus came to offer salvation to all, including Herod. After all, Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He doesn't want to take Herod's piddly little throne. Instead, what he wants to do is save Herod from death and lostness and brokenness. And Herod is actually a prisoner to the the ball and chain of trying to defend his own piddly little kingdom. Jesus wants to free him from that too. But sadly, Herod responds, protect my little kingdom from God. And my fear is this. I think many of us respond like Herod today. Now, we're like, yeah, those sad non-Christians out there preach it, Pastor. No, I don't mean people out there. I mean us. Because all of us are monarchs. All of us are little kings and little queens, and we rule over our little lives, our little kingdoms, and we desperately don't want God messing with our stuff. And we want to protect our little kingdom from God. And the, the wild thing is, here's Jesus. He, he created you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to give to you, to, to free you, to give you life, real life, true life. But we're threatened. And, and we don't want Jesus messing with our stuff. He is the true king. So it's really, really silly. Uh, think of that. What I'm saying is, we try to keep God from messing with our lives. Isn't that weird when you put it like that? That's strange, and yet we do. And so Herod's response is not just his. Unfortunately, sometimes it's ours. And that's one of the responses I wanted to point out. Now, to get to the next one, 
Remember, Herod did not know where Jesus would be born, so he had to consult the priests. It's actually the priests and the scribes, but I'm just going to simplify it by saying priests. And so he consults the priests. And if the response of Herod is protect my little kingdom, the response of the priests is religious indifference. What do I mean by that? Well, you understand the priests, they could quote the scripture like backwards and forwards. I mean, I didn't grow up in the Christian subculture, right? But I understand there's like Bible bees, sword drills, right? Like you, these little competitions about who knows the Bible more. Like you got to admit that like we're kind of weird, right? As Christians, we're weird sometimes. But it's a competition to see who knows more of the Bible. Know this, the priests would have won that hands down every time. They knew the scriptures forward and backwards. They knew that the Messiah would be born. They knew where the Messiah would be born. They could see the star in the sky themselves. They knew it was going down right now and they did not go to Bethlehem. They stayed right there in Jerusalem. They pointed the wise men in the right direction and they decided to just stay in Jerusalem and dabble in religion. And it's so sad because religious people miss God all the time. It's wild. Religious people have God right there. And religious people miss him all the time. It is possible to be neck deep in religion and miss Jesus. What do I mean by religion? Well, religion is a contract with God. That we make. He didn't make it. We make this. And we say, God, I will do A, B, and C for you, but I expect that you do X, Y, and Z for me. We sign that. God never signed that. That was not God's idea. It's so much so that when God doesn't do X, Y, and Z because he never signed that contract, we get upset because we feel like he's breaking the contract, right? That's religion. It is It is not saying, God, you're God, and I am not. And and, and so, God, you can have all of me. I'm pushing my chips to the middle of the table. I'm going all in for Jesus. You owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You're amazing. I'm going to run to Bethlehem. I'm going to worship Jesus. No. Instead... It's saying, God, you can have this predetermined portion of my life that I'll label religion. And you can have that, but God, don't you mess with this, that, and the other thing. That's off limits to you. God, I need you to stay in your religious box and not really mess with my life. Stay in your boundaries, God. I'm not going to take the costly trip to Bethlehem. Jesus might be there, but you know what? I'm going to stay here in Jerusalem in my religion where I'm comfortable. And that is what the priest did. What about us? Some of you don't go to church very often. Let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. You might have been invited by a friend or a family member. I'm so glad you came along. But but some of you I want to challenge because some of you are in the pattern that you go to church twice a year, every year, Christmas and Easter, and you're not running to Jesus, let's be honest. Now, the rest of you just got proud. Ha, stop it, all right? Some of you go to church 52 weeks a year and you can quote the Bible just like the priests and you're not running to Jesus either. Christmas is Jesus coming for you. He didn't come to set up another religion. He came to have a 
life-changing, all-encompassing relationship with you, run to Bethlehem. Run to Jesus. Run to him. So we have Herod. And we have the priests. Now this next one might surprise you because we actually don't talk about Joseph all that often. But there he is in the story. And I'll tell you what, if the priests are religious indifference, Joseph is religious obedience. Here's what I mean by that. Joseph is a good guy, right? He's a righteous man. He he obeys. Like he takes Mary as his wife when it was kind of something went wrong. Okay, God, you told me to. And, and so he marries her. He provides for her. God says, flee to Egypt with your family. He does that. He seemingly provides for his stepson, Jesus. Now, granted, he drops out of the story rather early on. Scholars, we don't know what happened. We speculate he might have died. We don't know. But here's the thing. It's Joseph, right? And we say, of course, Joseph is one of the good guys in the story, isn't he? I mean, he'll be in heaven, won't he? We don't know. What? We don't know. We assume so. Why do we assume so? Because of religious obedience. Because he was a good guy. Because he did some religious works. And so we assume he's okay. But let me clue you in on something. Joseph is not a good guy. There was only one good guy in the story. It's the baby in the manger named Jesus. He's the only good guy there. The rest of us are stained, messy, broken, including Joseph. And what we need, we desperately need a savior and praise God he came for us. That's Christmas. Jesus came for us. And so the only question is, did Joseph have faith in Jesus that entered him into a life-changing relationship? And we don't know. We don't know. We assume because he was a good guy. Here's the thing. Like Joseph, you will die. And when we die, we will all find ourselves standing before God and we will all in that moment know the truth. None of us are good except God himself. We're all broken, we're all stained, and we're all desperately in need of the Savior, Jesus. We need a Savior. And so would you run to Bethlehem? Would you run to the manger? Would you bow before Jesus and worship him? You're probably getting the idea that I'm not talking just about responses 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about responses in this room right now and the different kinds of responses we have. And of course, there's one more in the story that I want to highlight, and that is the wise men. They were the ones who actually would run to Jesus and would worship him. And who are they, though? This mysterious magi group. They were actually this learned scholarly class in the Parthian Empire. They were into a mix of science and mysticism and philosophy. They were political advisors. Very smart dudes. As part of that, they were into astrology and astronomy, both. In both cases, they would watch the skies. And God evidently allowed some sort of sign for them, a star. Now, we all know if it was a comet. Maybe it was like Saturn and Jupiter and Mars coming together in the sky. Or you know what? Maybe it was a miraculous move of God, the Shekinah glory of God. We don't know. 
But what we do know is this, that God in that moment, this is crazy, God in that moment intentionally allowed these wise men to have a sign that was quite clearly pointing them, there is a newborn king in Jerusalem, or in Israel. Why is that wild? The wise men aren't Jews. Did you catch that? In the very second chapter of the New Testament, what we have are non-Jews, Gentiles, bowing in worship before Jesus while the Jewish religious leaders ignored him. This is quite clearly God saying Jesus is for everybody, not just one race, not just one group. Jesus is for everybody. So he gives them the star, and yet the wise men still had to respond, right? Like they had to choose, are we we going to make that trip? Listen, that trip was long and costly. That trip took probably around two years, one direction. Then you got to go back. They had families. They had lives. They had to put it all on hold. That was costly. It also cost a lot of money. I'm going to now ruin your nativity sets. I apologize in advance, okay? There were probably way more than three wise men. The reason we think there were three is there are three gifts that are named. And so tradition said three wise men, each holding one gift. But the reality is this was probably a large entourage traveling such that when they entered Jerusalem, it was noticed. You know, like three dudes slip in on camels, nobody blanks, right? This was a large entourage. That means it was a very costly trip. And then at the end of it, they render these gifts, extravagantly expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This was costly. Listen, the wise men said, worth it. Totally worth it. Absolutely worth it. And what's interesting is the wise men might have been the biggest sinners in the story. We know nothing about their religion. We know nothing about their self-righteousness. What we know is that they ran to Jesus. They were desperate for Jesus. They didn't protect their little kingdoms from God. They didn't lean into religious indifference and just stay with their religion wherever they lived. They didn't assume they were okay with God because I'm a good guy. I do good things. No, they ran to Jesus. And in that moment, they chose wisely. Get it? Because wise men, it's really not that clever. Okay, (laughs) there it is. Now, that is Christmas and nothing else is. And I don't want you to miss this. In all your brokenness, in all your filth, in all your messiness, Jesus came for you. He split time and space so that God could take on human flesh, be born in a manger, grow up, die on a cross for you to reconcile you into relationship with God should you choose. Not just belief, but faith. And then he rose from the grave to prove that it's all true. And the very beginning of it is Jesus came. And that's Christmas. And nothing else is. Even more than a squirrel loose in your house, Right? That demands a response. Listen, Christmas demands a response. And every last one of us, just like 2,000 years ago, every last one of us responds in some way. The only question is how? How do we respond? I've been praying that this year, some of you experience Christmas like you never have before. I don't mean trees and lights and cookies and carols, presents, large men in red suits. It's not what I mean. 
I mean that you run to Jesus. You experience him breaking into your world even right now and you run to Jesus and you worship him. That's Christmas and nothing else is. And Herod missed it. And and the priests, they missed it. And Joseph might have missed it. We don't know. But here's the relevant question. What about you? Will you miss it? Jesus came for you. Listen, Jesus came for you. That's Christmas. And will you then respond by protecting your little kingdom from God? Don't mess with my life, God. Will you respond just with religious indifference? Just go through the motions. Will you respond with religious obedience? I'll just do some good works and I'll assume I'm good enough for God. Or will you realize that Jesus came to hunt you down because he loves you? And will you run to him, run to him, run to him and worship him? No matter what the cost, it's worth it. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that myself and my people would choose wisely. We would not blow the response because I know we will respond in some way. It demands a response. Father God, I want us to run to you, fall before Jesus, worship him. So glad that you, the one true God, would make a way for us. And that's Christmas and nothing else. And would we, would we respond in worship to that right now? And I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.